You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church, and this is our usually our Monday episode. Today it's Tuesday because yesterday was Labor Day, uh, but we are sitting down to talk about the text of Scripture that was preached on Sunday. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and I'm joined today by Matt Gruen, another pastor here, and we are going to read and talk about Psalm 115. Our aim, as always, is to let the Word of God dwell in us richly, just to uh, keep our hearts and our minds under this word. Uh, I, I just think God's word has an effect on us beyond what we can always feel or identify, recognize, put our finger on, just when we renew our minds according to God's word, when his word is saturating our minds, we are affected by that. It, his word does something to us. And so it's good to revisit this. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, Not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we typically start with a, just an observation question. What do, you, what do you notice? What stands out to you? Which is a good starting point anytime we come to any text of Scripture. We're trying to read it and understand the author's meaning, just to pay attention what's going on, what's the language the author uses, observations here. Standing out to me, uh, just in, in rereading this, verses 9, 10, 11, O Israel, O house of Aaron, you who fear the Lord... Hmm. And then verses 12 and 13, he will bless the house of Israel, bless the house of Aaron, bless those who fear the Lord. Um, The audience there is specified, those who are called to trust him and then those who are promised this blessing. Mm. One one thing that stands out to me here. Yeah, man, it's, there's just a lot happening. Um, And it's beautiful. I mean, just that opening verse, just Mm. kind of as a helpful package not to us O lord and then repeated almost as of a prayer mm. not to us but to your name give glory and for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness it's just everything that is to follow just it's anchored right there at the very front mm-hmm. who is the one who will receive all the glory who is the one who um is going to do any blessing yeah. who, who is the one that is actual god and not these fake things and um, it just really sets the primacy of God and who he is that then all the the theology of mm-hmm. the bigness of God then flows from that. Mm-hmm. Like, where is God? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. 
Um, th- those are all statements that are anchored in that opening, not to us, O Lord, away from us. We are not in the heavens. You are in the heavens, not mm-hmm. to us, O Lord, but to your name, give glory. Um, it just is, it just centers the, the and, and is the driving force of the entire psalm yeah. that then all the, the blessing and the, and admi- uh, the admonitions, the do not become like these false gods, um, dumb, mute, blind, yeah. um, but rather look, look to God who, who is in the heavens and does all these, ble- and is, is eager to bless, mm. eager to pour out. I think that's yeah, as you said, just that re- that repetition throughout of of may he, may bless be the Lord, may He bless the house of Israel, bless the house. He's just pouring out all these blessings mm-hmm. from heaven um, and who He is. Uh, just if we if you uh, help, two helpful categories for Bible reading is indicatives and in- imperatives. Indicatives are things that are true, and imperatives are commands that come out of things that are true. And it's just indicative after indicative after indicative that mm. pours out here of who God is, what he's like, what he does, mm. who he is, who he's not. And then ultimately ends praise the Lord, which yeah. is a command. Yeah. <laughs> you must, I will praise the Lord. And, and the one imperative that's repeated is trust in the Lord. Right. So the indicatives are describing who he is, mm-hmm. what he does. And all of that engenders our, our faith increases our desire to trust him, our motivation to trust him the reasons that we should trust him. Yeah. Like you said, verse one, not to us, O Lord, but to your name, give glory as a prayer. That is so instructive for us in all of our praying Hmm. to that's, that's the basis for every prayer that we pray. Yeah. Not for our glory, not for our own namesake, but for the sake of God's name. And then, you know, the, the follow-up phrase there is for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So I think those two things are parallel God's glory and God's steadfast love and faithfulness. When God acts for his glory, he's acting for the sake of his own steadfast love. Mm. He's demonstrating steadfast love. So when we ground our prayers in that, asking God, do this for the sake of your glory, we are asking him to act in a way that increases his fame and his majesty on earth, causes his trustworthiness to be put on display. Mm. And it's for our good because, you know, there's no tension here in the text between that prayer, do this for the sake of your glory and not f- for ours. Right. But then toward the end, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. May the Lord give you increase. Mm. Uh, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Right. All of our good, all of that blessing that the people of God here are expecting to experience from God is grounded in their expectation that God is always going to act to uphold the glory and honor of his own name by fulfilling his own promises. He's going mm-hmm. to act for the sake of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And when he right. does that, he's going to keep covenant to his people. And when he keeps covenant to his people, that's going to be blessing for yes. his people. And so those two things go together, God's yeah. glory and our blessing. Yeah. When God blesses us, he is exalting his name. Right. And, and Greg did a, a great job of reminding us the context here, uh, you know, historically and traditionally, is it, scholars have set this. Uh, the the occasion of this is during the wilderness wandering. Mm. So during they've already gone uh, and seen the land and said, "No thanks, too big, too many, too many people. There's mm. no way we can win." And, and God disciplines them by having them wander. So it's in their wanderings that they are now asking. The question is, how will God keep His promises to us when we go back into the promised land? Like, 
that, that question of in verse two, right off the heels of, mm-hmm. you know, is why should the nation say, where is their God? So here we are wandering in the desert and now we're being told, all right, go back into the land and take it. And we're just going to be mocked. We're, mm. we're, the, I'm sure the doubt of like, how are we going to do what God has promised he's going to do when it, when it just seems so scary. Um, and they will say to us, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know when you hear, why should the nations say that phrase just reminds me of Psalm two of why do the nations yeah. gather? Why do the, Where do they it, rage and plot? Exactly. It's just this against God. There's just a right away up front again, is this juxtaposition between God's people and mm-hmm. not God's people and the nations, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and them, their derision and their unbelief and mm-hmm. their, um, yeah, their their unbelief against who God is, and they ask these taunts of "Where is your God, you who just got like swatted back into the wilderness? Where is yeah. your God?" And uh, the author here is just being so wonderfully wrapping together. Well, we know, and the answers: Our God is in the heavens; right. He does all that He pleases. And then the admonishment to and the encouragement to the Israelites is: Their idols are silver and gold the work of right. human hands they are they have they're dumb they are mute they are blind and you will become like it's just mm. that that verse 8 those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them and i think that's just such a good diagnosis of all people everywhere are, ex, are ex, uh, exercising faith in something right and when you exercise faith in that faith in that thing you are asking it to be your god mm-hmm. and you are asking it and in, in, in such a way, and because all worship is such this, you are wanting and desiring to become like it. It's why when people follow sports teams, they start to wear certain colors and wear certain jerseys and sometimes even paint their faces. Who does that? <laughs> Not me. Uh, so we all of a sudden, we, we want to become like the thing we worship. Yeah. Um, G.K. Beale wrote a, a great biblical theology on idolatry called you become what you worship and based uh, on this verse based on this verse because it's it's so true to our human experience we mm-hmm. we become that which we love yeah. and we love that which we trust mm-hmm. and so we put our trust in these things and they've proven themselves and the author of the psalm is being so gracious and god is being gracious and warning that they are these things they are they cannot see they cannot hear they cannot feel that's right. And yet our God is in the heavens and he is eager to bless and give mm-hmm. sight and give ears. And that's why the, um, the, you know, the, the prophecy in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36 is so beautiful because he's saying, I will give you in your unbelief. You are, you have like the nations, this dead heart that doesn't trust in, in me, but I will give you a heart of flesh that is able now to walk in my ways and obey my statutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. And, that's where God's sovereignty is really, like you were saying, his sovereignty and his glory is intermixed with our good. Yeah. Because now with eyes that can see, we can turn and see the one who does give sight yep. and seek to become like him. Yeah. I think this is, again, so instructive to us because this is not an old challenge that no longer exists mm. for the people of God. That that accusation, where is your God, is still leveled at Christians. You believe in an unseen, invisible God. 
where is he? Where's the proof for him? Yeah. You know, so Christians often feel that burden to prove the existence of God. One of the biggest questions in the realm of apologetics. Mm. So all of atheism and agnosticism is based on that. You know, where, where's the proof for your God is essentially the question that's asked here in verse two. And in a world where we are embodied souls, we have physical bodies, are, we have these physical senses through which we experience the world. Mm. The things that we can sense with our senses seem the most real to us. Yes. If you can touch it, if you can see it, if you can smell it, that that's real. Yeah. And so when it comes to a, an unseen God, where is he? Mm. Who is he? How do we know him? You know, like Pharaoh asks Moses, who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Um, and I think of, you know, in the new Testament, first Peter three, 15, where Peter writes to persecuted Christians, have no fear of them. Speaking about those who challenge your faith, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. So don't be afraid of them. And and this Psalm just gives us a, a great confident answer right. to that, that says, you don't have to feel threatened in the least by that challenge. You don't have to feel like you have to be able to pull out of your back pocket or off the top of your head 10 proofs for the existence of God when somebody says where where is your God Psalm 115.2 just confidently asserts he's in the heavens <laughs> and he is doing everything that he yeah. pleases and, he is acting in the world and your God is deaf blind mute and he has no clothes it's the right. emperor has no clothes right. somebody just needs to say it <laughs> yeah and, and when you turn up the contrast there of okay so yes our God is unseen but like Greg made the point when it says he's in the heavens, it, it, it doesn't mean far off and disconnected and unconcerned. It means he is, mm-hmm. he occupies that place of ultimate authority over Overall, everything else. Yeah. He is ruling over everything. It's good. So he's not far off and removed. He is in the heavens ruling over everything. Yeah. Um, it, and then it, it turns up, just cranks this contrast between our unseen God who is active. Mm. He made the heavens, it says later, and the earth. Uh, he's given the earth to the children of man. Um, he gives increase, he blesses. So God is active, but contrast that to their idols. You, yes, you can see them. They are silver and gold. They are the work of human hands. You could hold them in your hands. You could touch them, feel them. But why would you trade the unseen God who acts for a seen God who can't see Right. (laughs) A, a, a visible physical God who can't hear or smell or walk or do right. anything. And, and then that ultimate <laughs> insult, if you will, in verse eight, those who make them become like them. Yeah. That is blind, deaf, yes. un, unfeeling. You, you lose all of your actual sense of reality when you worship such gods. And, and verse 17 renames them, comes back and renames them. The dead mm. do not praise the Lord, nor mm. do any who go down into silence. Because that's ultimately when you've become... When you worship that which is mute, you become mute. You you go and you are unable to interact with the world around you, and you are considered dead. The dead do not praise the Lord; mm-hmm. they're unable to speak. Yeah. Um, I was just saying to my class today when we were talking about Revelation and the need for it, and um, all people everywhere are looking for something to tell them truth to mm-hmm. to be their God. Um, and I just I just said to my students, science is a terrible God. It just, it cannot deliver what it promises. Right. Um, and it, same thing with your human experience, our human reason is a terrible God mm-hmm. because it's often flawed, often, often wrong, often changing. I think science changing all the time and the experts, the scientists will tell you 
they can't be sure about anything. So we're just always in a constant state of flux is that's just a, that's not a, that's not something to build as, as Jesus said, you can't build your house on that. Mm-hmm. that that's shifting sand. That's always shifting sand. Yeah. But here in Psalm 115, we have this picture of a God who is not deaf, is not mute, is not blind, is not dead, but is in the heavens doing and exercising all that he pleases. And that which pleases him is to bless his people and yeah. to give them the earth. The earth has been given to the children of man to give them that creation because he's the one who created it in the first place and then created those beings on which to rule and to live mm-hmm. and to worship him in their living and doing. So he, he made beings to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Yeah. And so that's what life is, is to know him, enjoy him and glorify him in all that we do. Mm-hmm. And so to not do that is to really be dead, is to is to do, do such folly that you remove yourself from life itself yeah you cut yourself off from god the source of life then you are you're dead in that sometimes the question comes up does the old testament did did saints in the old testament expect the resurrection from Mm -hmm. the dead or is that new and unique in the new testament and right here in psalm 115 you see clearly that the people of god have had this hope of resurrection life eternal life yeah uh, all along because that end there, verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, that is into the grave. But verse 18, the very last verse, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So that contrast, mm. the dead it's just acknowledging. Yeah, it's true. The dead don't praise God. Yes. But we will praise him forever. Yeah. How could we praise him forever? If the dead don't praise him right. and we're going to die and we're mortal. Well, because the hope, of resurrection right. life. And like you're saying, then that there's this confirmation. This is what we were made to do forever. Right. We will bless his name forever, it, it, which ties back to the opening verse, mm. not to us, but to your name, be the glory. That will be our, song. how does God's name get glory forever? Because God gets a people for himself yeah. who will praise him forever. So when Jesus comes up to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that God had said in the prophets. Did not the Christ had to suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? Meaning there had to be a resurrection. Like, yeah. This should not be surprising to you guys. Have not you read your Bibles? Mm. And then he goes back and he explains to them all the law and the prophets, all the things concerning himself in such a way that their hearts burn, yeah. which is here in Psalm 115 to actually feel and experience and be, yes. be quickened by the word of God, which is, which all these other things are unable to do because mm. they were downcast. They were, they were dead because they were believing wrong things. Right. And Jesus through his word, through the word corrects their thinking and by his spirit opens their eyes so that they can actually see him and their mm. heart. And they recognize the burning in their hearts was from the word being preached. And just all that language of, it just comes alive when, yeah. you, when you know your Bibles. Yeah. That's rich. I, think of, you know, Greg really landed on verse three, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And he made that point, um, as finite creatures, we are frequently frustrated. Mm. We can make plans. We have dreams and ambitions, but how much of our own lives are actually the result of circumstances beyond our control or in spite of all of 
our intentions and plans and whatever, you know, we can only do so much. And then other people are also making their decisions and circumstances happen and the weather happens. And you just, you know, none of us can say, oh yeah, whatever I want to do, I do all the time. Which is so frustratingly self-evident. Like it's so (laughs) obvious that when we kick against it, we are just trying to kick against the wind it, because right. it's so it doesn't take any thought to think I am I really can't do all not, that I want to do actually self-determining right yeah yeah we we do make choices but I, I think we've talked about this before how Bavink Herman Bavink points out even when it comes to marriage you you think you choose your spouse well sure you, you exercise your will you voluntarily say I do in your your marriage vows but somebody else had to also agree to marry you and you couldn't <laughs> force that or bring that about. <laughs> so even Story there where you're, yeah. you're exercising your choice, you are also dependent on somebody else choosing you back. Yeah. Um, but contrast again, our experience with God in the heavens, he does all that he pleases, yeah. whatever he wants to do. He does. He accomplishes all his holy will carries that out perfectly. He's never frustrated. Mm-hmm. He's never thwarted he's never short on resources i mean how many times do we even have that experience of well my my will is there i i want to but i'm (laughs) too tired or i'm (laughs) too poor or i'm too too busy too busy or (laughs) something else comes in and and god just never ever has an experience like that which just makes him as the rest of the psalm unpacks then the the lord has remembered us he will bless us. Mm. He, he is the source of all blessing because he is the sovereign God yeah. in the heavens above who cannot be thwarted. So when the text then calls us, this is when I just land on the application. How does this affect us mm. is ultimately the question we're getting to. I think that the response the text calls for is trust in the Lord. Yes. Trust him. Yes. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and yeah. their shield. And have, seeing how that's grounded in our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He, he is a perfect help and shield to us. Yeah. Faith is by nature a an exercise of non-determination. Like mm. I, I can't, if I could determine all things and I was self-determinative and I could actually do what I want, I would never have to exercise faith in right. anything. Because in faith, you are recognizing your limitation. Yeah. You're surrendering. Even just in, I mean, all faith is future oriented mm-hmm. and I'm not a future I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't get there. I I can't, that's not a knowledge I can receive. And so faith by nature is asking something to do what it promises to do and trusting that it will. And as the psalmist goes through, he says, these idols cannot do what you Mm. think it will do. And in fact, that will then have an effect on you. So the command, the, the appeal really is just trust in the Lord. And this is not a blind faith. This isn't a Mm. close your eyes, fingers crossed and leap. It's, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Yeah, That's who yeah. he Trust is. Him. Trust in that one. Mm-hmm. And he is not like these other ones. And it's just a, it's a, it, it just pinpoints us right down to our very human experience of mm-hmm. every day. I'm going to exercise faith in something. And do I, do I put that faith in, um, in the things around me in myself, yeah. who, which all let me down. That's the experience of human life. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather, set your trust on the unshakable, unmovable God who does sit in the heavens above all things. Yeah. Um, and th- because that's just the nature of faith. Mm-hmm. It is future-oriented in, in the promises of God. And, and all of those promises were then sealed and mm-hmm. accomplished and guaranteed and yes and amen in Christ. Yeah. And so in him, 
we do have the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And then those are now applied to us by his spirit. So yeah. it is not a blind faith. We are trusting That's the right. one who is in the heavens. And, and then it all, all, all that, once that, that work is done, we can finally get to the end. Well, praise the Lord. Yes. <laughs> praise the Lord yes. that he has not left us alone to, to become like these idols in our, in our sin, but has made us alive in Christ and seated us at the right hand with God, the father on high. And in Christ, we have now access to God and, mm. um, that's praise. That's that's something to sing about. That's something that's right. to to live for. Yeah, well, I think just in talking through this, you know, what a takeaway for me. This Psalm, Psalm one fifteen, reminds me: faith is inescapable. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to trust something. Everybody trusts in someone or something for satisfaction and security. And the question that we are tempted to ask when it comes to whom or what am I going to trust is, well, can I see it? Which is why we're tempted to trust in money because I can see it. It's right there. I can see the bills that I owe. I can see, you know, this is all tangible and and real. Um, People, relationships, possessions, whatever it is, it's tempting to trust in that. The question, according to Psalm 115, is not, can I see it, but can it see me? Mm. And That's with good. God, the answer is yes, he, yes. He's in the heavens. He sees you. He will bless you. You can trust him. Yeah. These other things that you can see, you're going to be tempted to trust in because you can see them, but you can fight that idolatry by reminding yourself, preaching to yourself, it can't see me. It doesn't care about me at all. It can't do anything That's about right. my my problems. Only God can. Um, so just, I think, come away from this with greater incentive, encouragement, um, to trust God in the everyday stuff of life. That's That's good. good. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, buddy.